Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Charles had talked to me about coming and speaking, and earlier in this week, I was reading just kind of through the Bible um, in 2 Chronicles right now, and I came across the story of Asa that maybe many of us are familiar with. I've read it before, but as I was reading and studying, it really kind of hit me what happened in Asa's life, and as I was studying, I was like, you know, I think maybe this is what I should speak on Saturday night, and so I'm going to talk about Asa briefly, so if you have a Bible, you can open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 14 if you don't. I'm going to read it, and I think it'll be easy to follow along, but let me just pray for us one more time before we dive in. Father, thank you for your word, and would you bless the reading, the teaching, the understanding, uh, the remembering, the application, uh, the believing of your word tonight. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're going to start out and just looking at how Asa sought the Lord. Okay, Asa was a man, he was a king in Judah who sought the Lord. He was the great-grandson of Solomon. So if you want to kind of put yourself in biblical history, that's where we pick up. So let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 14. We'll start in verse 2. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places, and he broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out all of the, of the cities of Judah, the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had no rest. Uh, for, excuse me, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. The Lord is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side, so they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. So, uh, in the ancient Near East at that time, virtually everybody would have been... uh, Syncretism would have been the normal thing. What that means is just just a big word that means people worshipped many gods. And the Jewish people were very unique because they were maybe the only monotheist in the entire ancient world that just said, we worship Yahweh, we don't worship anybody else. And so basically what Judah is trying to do is lead a religious reform that says there's still some of our people that have these different places of worship. They're not coming to the temple. They're just worshiping on these high hills and mountains, and they're worshiping all different sorts of gods. They have these different incense altars and things, and we're going to wipe them all out. We're going to try to focus our whole people on just worshiping God. And because they're doing that, God's blessing them. He's giving them financial prosperity. He's giving them military strength and power. And listen, guys, a lot of times that happens in our lives. And and we say, well, I'm not a king of a nation, but a a, a father of a family, if you're a a business owner, anything like that, when a a man, when a woman is is a leader and is faithful, God usually brings blessings. And that's what was happening to King Asa. Now, let's see what's going to happen. It's not just a fairy tale. There's some hard stuff that happens as well. Verse 9, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. Now, just notice, 
They had almost half a million troops, but this army has a million. So he, they're outnumbered almost two to one. Okay. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up the lines of battle in the valley of Zephatha uh, at Marasa. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Okay? I want you to notice, this is a great prayer. Two things that are great about it. First is he says, hey God, I'm not relying on my army. I have a mighty army. I have half a million men. And it said they were valiant men. Great soldiers. They've got great armor. But I'm not trusting in my men. I'm trusting in you. I'm looking away from my resources. I'm looking to you. And then secondly, he said, God, at some level, your name and your fame is what's really on the line. This isn't ultimately about my name and my fame. Because we're the people of God, the people of Yahweh. This battle, if we lose, it's going to make you look bad. And I don't want you to look bad. I, I had a friend one time, we were praying about something, and he prayed. He said, God, give us the success. We both work in ministry. He said, God, give us the success that would make you look famous. That's a good prayer. Don't give us the success that makes us look famous. Give us the success that makes you look famous, God. And that's essentially what Asa was praying. And then they're going to win the battle. And skip down to verse 15. We're not going to read all this because we're going to look at three different chapters tonight. And they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So the bottom line is they win the battle. They destroy the enemy. They wipe them out. And they get a lot of spoil from the war. They're coming home with all these animals. So Asa starts well. He's seeking the Lord. And then we're going to see he continues well. And since he's going from strength to strength, victory to victory, he's going to be taking courage in the Lord. So let's just keep going in chapter 15 there, starting verse 1. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in, uh, they were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So he's coming home from this great victory. And a prophet of God comes to speak to him. And it's really to encourage him. He says, listen, you've been obeying God and God's blessing you. And if you, if you keep obeying God, God will keep blessing you. But there's also a subtle warning here. If you forsake God, God will forsake you. There will be discipline. There will be consequences. Um, uh, one commentator, a guy named Matthew Poole, said this. This was a warning to Asa not to become presumptuous, not to become self-confident. Okay? And, and one thing, I've just, this is something I've been noticing in many different places in the Bible recently. God is a good God, and when he knows that a certain temptation is going to come into our life, oftentimes he will speak to us and warn us. Think about Adam in the garden. God told Adam, hey, don't eat from this one tree. Well, why did God tell him that? Partially because he knew Satan was going to come and tempt Adam to eat from that tree. How about Peter? The night before he betrayed, or the day he was going to betray Jesus, Jesus said, 
Peter, I'm giving you a warning. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And Peter's like, nah, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Listen, when God seems to be speaking to us and laying something on our heart, he's not doing it arbitrarily. He's not doing it at random. There's a reason. Temptation is coming, and he was preparing Asa for that. But Asa heeds it. At first, he responds really well. So let's keep going in this chapter. Verse 8. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage, and he put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. So they gained new territory in this war, and he's wiping out all the places of false worship in these new territories. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who were residing with them, for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. So notice two things. People from Israel, the, nor the northern kingdom that had really abandoned Yahweh, they hear, man, there's a revival happening in Judah. And they start immigrating down there. They want to live in Judah where they can worship the one true God. And Asa takes all the spoil of that war, and he doesn't use it just for their own kind of pleasure. They say, all that we got from this war, God, we're going to offer it back to you. I mean, they are living a very God-centered life. Verse 12, and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. You think that's pretty harsh, but you go back in Deuteronomy when God was first making his covenant with Israel, and Moses, that's what God had said. If somebody refuses and they want to worship false gods, don't let them be a part of your people. So they're getting very serious about obedience. Verse 14, they swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. They're obeying more and more, and God is blessing them more and more. Even Micaiah, his mother, king, and it may have been his grandmother, King Asa removed from being queen because she had a detestable image for Asherah. So think about this. It's one thing to try to be maybe a good uh, employee at work and live for the Lord there. But if you get sideways with somebody in your family, it can be really hard to have to rebuke or confront somebody in your own family that you see every day. But he realized that his grandmother, who was kind of like a counselor to the king back then, that she kind of had some false worship she was doing. And even there, he's like, I'm not going to abide for it. He, he is going all the way with this. He is very passionate about his reforms. Verse 17. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days, and he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels, and there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So... He's going all the way with this. God is blessing him. It's going wonderful. But did you notice it said, hey, all the high places, because there were so, probably some places in the new territory that he just couldn't get to, you know, one person can only do so much. But I read this quote by Matthew Henry. I thought it was great. He said, sincerity is something less than sinless perfection. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, God doesn't say that we have to be sinlessly perfect to be in a right relationship with him. We do have to sincerely trust him. We do have to sincerely and devoutly worship him and follow him. And that's what Ace is doing.
And part of me just wants to end right here and say, man, isn't that a great story? Let's go eat. That's glorious. And let's just all be like Asa. But that'd be fake because that's not how the story ends. So let's go into chapter 16. What we're going to see is Asa did not persevere in relying on the Lord. Verse 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house, and he sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go and break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to the king Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered. Uh, Verse 5. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and he let his work cease. So here's what happens. Israel... The king of Israel decides, I don't like all my people leaving the northern kingdom to go into southern Judah. So he invades a little bit. He gets to about five miles north of Jerusalem, and he builds this huge kind of fortified city, or at least he starts to. And what he's trying to do is stop the people. I mean, in a sense, he's building a wall, okay? So say, I don't want my people leaving and going to the southern kingdom. And Asa doesn't like it. What does Asa do? He makes a treaty with the king of Syria that says, will you attack Israel in the north so that the king of Israel has to remove his troops. He can't keep attacking me. And here's the thing. It works. Practically speaking, it was a good plan. It was strategic. He had the money to cover it. He took the money out of the treasuries from the temple. He paid for it. The plan worked. But the problem is God didn't like his plan. Let's keep going. There's going to be another prophet that's going to come and talk to him. Skip down to verse 7. At that time... Hanai, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this. From now on, you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer, and he put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Those were probably people that supported the prophet. Verse 11, The acts of Asa, from the first to the last, are written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, And his disease became severe. Maybe it was gout, maybe it was gangrene, we don't know for sure. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. It's not wrong to go to the doctor. It is wrong to not pray, though. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a beer that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his house. Now, um, he dies, and they still honor him because he had done a lot good for the Lord. He had a good legacy in many ways. But he dies kind of in this place of anger and hard-heartedness against God and his pride. It's very, it's very sad. And I want us to just draw some practical lessons from this, okay? Um, 
the Geneva Bible, commenting on this passage, says, it's nothing to begin well unless we continue to the end. So maybe four lessons here. The first would be this. Prosperity is more dangerous than persecution. And here's what I mean. When God is blessing our socks off, and for a lot of us living in the West, that's true. We have so much health. We have so much financial prosperity. We have so much freedom. There's so many good things. We can start to trust more in our blessings than we do trust in God. Does that make sense? It's very dangerous, and we have to be careful. I mean, in the early days, Asa trusted in God, but when he got really blessed, he quit trusting in God. Matthew Henry again said this. This was very convicting to me. We trust in God when we have nothing else to trust in. But when we have other things to rely on, we are apt to rely too much on them. You understand the point? So just think about it personally. What is it in your life that you're tempted to trust in other than God? Is it your money? Is it your success? Is it your friends? Is it your reputation? Is it your intellect? I don't know. It's not wrong to use those things. It's wrong to rely on those things, to depend on those things. Okay? The second thing would be this. If God is speaking to us about something, we need to listen. We need to humble ourselves. We need to repent. We need to obey. Now, we may say, well, wait a second, though. This is the Old Testament. They had these prophets that would just walk up to you and say, Thus saith the Lord. You know, we don't exactly have the exact same thing they, they had back then. So what are we to do? Well, at least two things. I mean, the Bible, right? If there's something in the Bible that's clear, and there's a lot in the Bible that's clear, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? You meet somebody, you want to commit adultery, you don't have to pray about it. It's wrong. Don't do it. God just spoken. But there's a lot of things in life that aren't that clear. They're more gray. They're not addressed directly in the Bible. How can we know then? Here's my best understanding. If you have multiple people in your life that are godly, that are wise, that know the word of God well, and they know you and the situation you're in, and they're all giving you the same advice, you should listen. You, you should almost take that like God is speaking to you. So if I had my mentor and my wife and my father, who all know me very well, and they're all godly people, and they were all saying basically the same thing to me, I need to humble myself and say, I think God is speaking to me through the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. And not push that off. He got angry. He got angry when they spoke, to, you know, when, when, don't do that. When somebody's giving you constructive criticism, let me just give a personal application here. Especially when my kids were younger, there were a couple of them that our personalities were a little bit like oil and water and we would butt heads at times and I can have a little bit of a temper and I, I would get angry. And I would yell. And after the confrontation was over and my son would leave the room, my wife would say, would you like a little bit of feedback? And the honest answer was, absolutely not. I do not want any feedback. You know, I'm sick of that discussion. I'd like a compliment maybe about how well I handle it, but I do not want any feedback. But nine times out of 10, what I would do is I would say, yes, I do, I want the feedback. And I would just sit there like this, you know, just keep my mouth shut. But I needed to hear it. Because if I can't take feedback from the person who sees me more than anybody else, I'm in trouble. And when somebody's trying to give you constructive criticism to help you, don't be angry. Don't go on the attack like Asa did, okay? Cultivate those type of opportunities in your life. There's a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor in uh, Atlanta. And I think he's the one that originally said this quote. He said, if you refuse to listen to the people around you, 
eventually you will be surrounded by people that have nothing to say. Because people just give up. And you'll either be surrounded by people that don't care or they're too scared to say the truth. Right? Or they're not wise enough to see it. And we, I mean, if, you, if you really want to grow in godliness, when there's somebody that is willing to give you constructive criticism, you need to cultivate that relationship and invite them in. Make it easy for them. Don't make it hard. So, in conclusion, almost done here. This is a, maybe not for you, for me, this is an incredibly humbling, sobering lesson. Asa, this godly man, he starts so well. He's doing so well. God's blessing his socks off. And then he takes a turn for the worse late in life. If it could happen to him, it could happen to me. It can happen to us. We're not above it. But this is also a very, very, very encouraging passage. And here's the reason why. God makes covenant with sinful people. God does not demand perfection of us to enter into relationship with us. God had entered into relationship years before this with Moses, and he was still in a relationship with his people. Even though they were sinning and they were up or down, they were like a roller coaster ride. But I think here's maybe the biggest thing that we need to think about leaving tonight. When Asa got a lot of prosperity, it led him to pride. And that, that, that is not what we want to let happen in our own lives. But there's another king of God's people, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he literally had all the prosperity of the world. He was sitting on a throne in heaven. And he didn't let his prosperity lead to pride. He let his prosperity lead to pity. Because what happened is he looked down on sinful human beings like me and you. And he said, I will leave my place of blessing. I will leave my place of prosperity. And I will go to earth and I'll live a life of humility. I'll live a life of submission. I'll live a life of dependence. I will humble myself before my father. And I will do everything he asked me to do. Remember how he prayed in the garden? Not my will, but your will. And he didn't just pray that way. He lived his whole life that way. I mean, that's even the way he died. Even if it kills me, Father. Not my will, but thine. So I want us to be humbled. I want us to be serious about cultivating feedback. I want us to be serious about being humble and obeying God's word in our life. Not letting pride go to our head. But the main thing that we ought to walk away thinking about is this. Our God has made a covenant today with his people and he signed it in the blood of his own son. And because of that, when I look to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone and the covenant that has been made for me because of his death and resurrection, even though I do have sin and I do have pride and I do have shortcomings and I do have anger and whatever it may be, I can trust in Christ lived a perfect life in my place the perfect life of humility, the perfect life of submission, the perfect life of dependence. I hope in him, and I'm forgiven, and I will reign with him one day for all eternity. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love your word. I pray that you would draw all of us closer to yourself in humility, in faith, and in joy and obedience. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.